I once heard someone say that anyone who's been married more than five minutes already has grounds for divorce. <laughs> well, I, of course, I don't believe that. But it might be a little bit more true that within five minutes of our birth, for most of us anyway, within five minutes of our birth, we already had reason to want an apology from the world. <laughs> Upon arrival, though totally and perfectly innocent, we were beaten. It was for our own good, or at least that's what people thought, but we did get beaten right out the gate with no provocation. As completely defenseless beings, our very first encounter with life in the open air gave us reason to fear other people. Fortunately, the practice of spanking newborns finally ended, though I can't say when. But, I, but my understanding is they don't do that anymore. Wow. <laughs> I'd have to think that it makes for a different experience for your whole life. Everyone has been hurt. Undeservedly. Certainly the degree... And the frequency of that hurt is too varied to begin to describe. And if we have interacted with others, we have no doubt caused someone else pain. No matter how unintentionally. Grievances abound. Every person, every tribe, every nation Obviously, not all of those hurts are physical, nor can stories or appearances relate to those around us how profoundly we and others have been affected. Our calibrators and translators don't work the same from person to person. What is utterly devastating to one person may be motivation for another to excel. And it's not simply a matter of strength or intelligence, but rather the result of innumerable factors. Several days ago, I was talking with a friend um, who was on the road and calls me sometimes. but And I mentioned that son, today I was going to be speaking about forgiveness, and he asked what I was going to say about it. And I said, well, I'm not going to be talking about forgiveness from outside of us, but rather about our forgiving ourselves and each other. I said I would not be talking about God's forgiveness, but rather our need to forgive ourselves and other people. He said he believed that some things just are not forgivable. 
and he referred to the plight of women in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Literally hundreds of thousands of women have been viciously sexually abused there. The death toll there has risen above Darfur, Iraq, and Afghanistan combined. But he said, frankly, that he would have no trouble at all blowing away the attackers in that country. And I said, well, let's look at what the white settlers in this country did to Native Americans. And we have not yet held ourselves accountable. And then there was slavery. Or what about the Germans' treatment of Jews? Or the Romans' and Jews' wars on Christians? Or the Christians' war on Muslims? Admittedly, I don't know enough about the East to make references there, but I'm sure the stories, the patterns recur there as well. In any of these cases, whoever the we happens to be, we forgive ourselves, at least in large groups, far more easily than we forgive others. The we's want the them's to get over it and move on, which is not a bad point, but it's not the we's place to say that. And then the we's are unable to do the same thing when the shoe is put on the other foot. All of the horrors generated in the name of war, in the name of peace, of progress, ultimately have been unforgiven. And I think most of them have not even yet asked for forgiveness. We forgive our group's mistakes, though we are less often successful at forgiving ourselves. Sometimes we don't recognize that either. But I also mentioned to my friend that the fact that people like Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. maintained their nonviolent postures in the face of horrible violence, as well as the murder of innocents. I then offered in my view that in a given lifetime, not all people are in the same grade of this life school. And therefore, people do not have the same capacity for reasoning or for compassion. Now, this I, I, is a part of my belief structure because I believe in reincarnation. 
Um, but there are humans who are operating from a very base and basic framework. Survival of the fittest, animal-like worldview. We don't often encounter them, but they're around us all over the place. They, they aren't very successful in larger uh, social groups. But they lack the self and group discipline and or accountability that, in contrast, one might associate with responsible professional military strategies. Furthermore, these people would not be able to grasp the notion of interdependence or mutuality. They're not there yet. But to judge them by that alone is as unreasonable as failing a second grader because they can't do trigonometry. In the Christian New Testament, the book of Luke, chapter 23, verse 24, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I don't think this was Jesus saying they don't know who they're killing. I think it was Jesus saying the people of those times really did not grasp the savage nature and cruelness of their behavior and, and the chosen punishments of that day. Again, I quote the translation from the Buddhist writer Shantideva. It's natural for the immature to hurt others. Getting angry with them is like resenting a fire for burning. I'm not at all trying to imply that we need to simply forgive atrocities on a vague, unproved theory that suggests, instead of diminished capacity, the capacity hasn't yet developed. There's a lot more to it than that, obviously. First of all, in accordance with Jewish tradition, no one can be forgiven uh, no one can forgive crimes that are committed to other people. The right belongs only to the victims themselves and to God. In other words, unless the atrocities have been committed against us, that tradition says we have no right to judge or forgive the perpetrators. Also in the Jewish tradition, one is not to be forgiven unless they have made amends or restitution, vowed to never do it again, and asked for forgiveness. But there's a clear distinction between forgiveness, a simple one-sided and compassionate act or experience, and reconciliation which must be earned by the reestablishment of trust, beginning with the transgressor, transgressor's recognition 
and acknowledgement of the transgression. Second, even with forgiveness, one does not allow the harm to continue or the damage done to go without consequences. Forgiveness doesn't deny, minimize, or justify what others have done to us or the pain that we have suffered. In a world shared with others, agreed-upon standards must be honored and upheld. When the agreed-upon standards are broken, there must be a method for correcting the breach. Third, and this is where I get closer to my central point, our central theme, forgiveness is not a favor that you do somebody else. It's a change in oneself that begins an expansive sense of freedom. It's an awakening of sorts to a wider view, a newer and clearer understanding. It's like having large rocks cleared away from your spirit and replaced with a certain peaceful, loving vitality. And once we find our way there, we can go back again. It becomes a path that can be used over and over. The more it's accessed, the easier it is to find and traverse. Forgiveness encourages us to look squarely at those wounds and see them for what they are. And it allows us to see how much energy we've wasted and how much we have damaged ourselves by not forgiving. It can't be forced, and it doesn't come easy. Though there are exceptions, I think. For example, some parents find it quite easy to forgive their offspring for just about anything. No matter what the shortcoming or how grave. Clearly, this is the result of the love that is already part of that relationship. But most of the time, the things we carry around with us are nowhere near that easy to move past. Our sense of what we have not forgiven may be wrapped in anger or sadness, resentment, shame, apathy, contempt, righteous indignation, frustration, or fears. But every single solitary instance whether of thought, word, or deed, for which we have not given someone, forgiven someone, even if it is ourselves, each one is a block to our ability to love as well as our ability to have positive influence in the world around us that's more deeply meaningful. Each instance is at its core a fear that we're unwilling to let go. I'm going to ask you to do something now that's very difficult, just for a minute. 
and this is the key, I think, just for a moment, hear where it's safe, call to mind someone or, or something you're genuinely having trouble forgiving. Maybe you actually have no desire to forgive it at all. But even so, think about it for just a minute. You may wish to notice the changes in how you're physically feeling just by calling the thought up. Listen to your heart. Now, I want you to ask yourself this question. What is it I fear I will lose or have to give up if I change how I feel about this? What am I afraid of that makes me want to hold on to the way I feel about it? Because whether it's dressed in anger or some other emotion or just plain, clearly fear that we can see, the root of it is fear. Okay. Let's put that away again for right now. If in this time we've not found the answer to that question, I hope you will make the effort to find another safe place and chase the ghost until you unmask it. I wish this for you and for me and for us because we deserve greater internal peace no matter how happy we are. We deserve more And oceans of love. We all do. When we find the answer to that question, we then have a choice. And it is in the recognition of the answer that we can make a different choice, that we find our power and we find our freedom. If one is unable to forgive, one is unable to love. To the same extent you can't forgive, you can't love. The same extent I can't forgive, I can't love. If one is unable to love, one is unable to receive love. Every act you cannot forgive is love and peace you deny yourself. And if that's not enough motivation to pursue your demons this way, one at a time, then consider this. These numerous, massive, international wounds are also in dire need of healing. And if we can't heal ourselves, we cannot hope to heal the world. 
For there is no love without forgiveness, and there is no forgiveness without love. And to carry that one step further, I would quote the title of Nobel Prize winner Desmond Tutu's book, which says, There is no future without forgiveness. We all need to know forgiveness, and we all need to find forgiveness in our hearts. There's an Hasidic story about a king who quarrels with his son and, in a fit of rage, exiles him from the kingdom. The same story is used at the end of the movie, The Chosen, if you've ever seen that. It's a great show. Uh, Old, but very good. Years passed, and the son wandered alone in the world, and a time came when the king's heart softened, and he sent people out to find his son, But when they located the son with the king's invitation to return to the kingdom, the son said he had been too hurt and his heart still harbored bitterness. So the king sent another message to the son and said, come back as far as you can and I'll meet you there. It's the story about hardness of heart, faith, forgiveness, and love. Whether we identify with the king or with the child, we all understand what it is to fight against forgiveness. In closing, I ask you to imagine putting down the weight of every slight, every wound. Imagine being rid of it. Every disappointment or assault from the first pain of life to now. With that energy, we could travel an awfully long distance toward healing the world around us. If, a, if forgiveness is a favor at all, it's one we do ourselves, for it is the lightening of our own hearts. <laughs>